the roll and go. Where am I to go, me Johnny? Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. I am so grateful you have chosen to listen to me and to go on the travels and see the things and go to the museums that we have managed to go through for the last two seasons. I have really enjoyed doing this podcast, and I hope you stick with me. It makes me happy to know that people are enjoying what I do. On another note, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we are on Facebook at Where Am I To Go podcast. We have lots of pictures. We have places that we go that we don't do podcasts on. And we have lots of things to see and think about when you decide you're going to travel or if you're just interested in learning about different places that we go. Also, we have an email account at whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. And if anybody has any comments, ideas, thoughts, you are more than welcome to email me there, and I will do my best to answer, and we'll see where everything goes this season. I've got some neat things lined up, and I hope everybody is ready to go for a museum tour ride. This is part two of the series that we're doing at the Marfa Holocaust and Model Ship Museum, and we are here with Kim and he is going to talk to us about the museum part. We got kind of caught up on the Marfa lights in the last podcast and some of what was going on there. And we didn't get into the museum. And so now we are in the museum and he's got a whole lot more story to tell us. So let's go, Kim. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, for those of you that can't see this, this is a, a World War II story. It started in 1934 and ended in 1948, and it involved 144 ships, and uh, it, it had really nothing to do with the uh, Holocaust, per se, because it happened at the exact same time, only this story is not known anywhere in Europe or in America. They, that's how well they kept it secret. And why did they keep it secret? Um, now you're getting into a controversial subject. Well, that's controversy. Okay, away. basically, they... The people who are keeping it secret are the museums, the Holocaust museums. And they don't want anybody to know what the Jews did to the six million that died in the Holocaust. So now I, I love the Jews. I love Orthodox Jews. I, ha I love them all. But uh, we, had a, we had a group of very powerful Jews that uh, did everything in power to keep these 144 boats from getting from from Europe into Palestine. Okay, so, let's not go deeper than that. Let's just kind well, of leave it there. That's deep enough. All right. <laughs> okay. In, in 1938, two things happened. Now, in 1930, all of Europe was already massacring the Jews and taking their land pogroms. They were doing everything. Hitler wasn't in power until 33. And uh, he tried to get America and Great Britain and France and the rest come, come get the Jews. But they, you know, they said, no, we don't want to get them. Leave them in Europe. So uh, he sent a ship called the SS St. Louis, and most people heard about it. The SS St. Louis, Hitler put a thousand Jews on it in 1938, sent them to America and, um, to see if the Americas would take them. And if they didn't, then he felt he, uh, he was free to do the final solution. 
Well, sure enough, all America, South America, America, Canada, they all said we don't want them, and they sent them back. They sent them back? Yes, they did. There were a thousand Jews. Now, well, the captain of this boat, it was an SS boat. Okay. And the captain was regular Navy, so he didn't want to do that. So he stopped the boat in the middle of the Pacific, where all the submarines were, but it was a German boat. In the middle of the Pacific or middle of the Atlantic? Pacific, Atlantic. Okay, okay. Uh, And he said, uh, he called all the Jews on there, and he said, look, you guys, I'm not sending you back to Germany. He said, if I have to run this boat on the shores of England, I'll do it. But he found a place for them in Europe. Of course, 250 of them were eventually captured because Hitler took over Europe. And And where did they land in Europe? Oh, many nations like Belgium, um, uh, Scotland, uh, Holland, uh, England. Oh, okay. They all took they portions all took, of them. Okay. And uh, this is only a thousand of them out a of thousand, Germany? A thousand. He got most of them out of um, uh, Austria. When you had the Knot of Kristallnacht. Okay. The Knot of Kristallnacht, 1,200 reformed synagogues were burnt to the ground. Okay. And out of those, or the thousand, there were 400,000 of them he sent to Austria and put them in camps, and then that's where he collected the thousand from. Now, lot, there were families on here, but very few families, because mostly men that their, their families were left in Germany, and they sent the men to hopefully end up in America or, or Canada, but they sent them back. Um, now, how come none of the countries wanted them? They had a heart. They, they just... They must have known where they were going to go, and they didn't want them going back to Germany. No, I'm talking about Americas. When they when he brought them over to the Americas, the ships were turned back. Correct. All right. You, they can't see this, but you look it up. Y'all okay. look up on the internet. Uh, House Bill one 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 in two thousand nine. House Bill one 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 two thousand nine. We're the only nation in the world that did this. This is. Uh, they apologize, our Congress apologized to the world and to America for what Roosevelt and his State Department did to the Jews throughout the war. Really? They, right here. In 1938, two things happened. I didn't get to tell you the two things. We'll start with this one first. This is my book. This is something they need to get a hold of. I named the book Jew for Oil. And why did I name it that? Because this is a document that's still in effect today. And they'll never, ever hear of this again, only in this museum. This, the British went to the Grand Mufti, the Muslim leader, like the Pope of the Muslims, and he was in Iran. And they asked him for oil, because we, we don't have any oil to fight the Germans. Well, he was already, the, Muf, um, the Grand Mufti was already working for Hitler, and, but they still said, you can have all the oil you want, but you have to sign this document. They signed it, and so did the Russians. And it said, for every Jew you kill and for every Jew you keep out of Palestine, you have oil for eternity. And that's why the British never bombed Auschwitz and Dachau. Even though they have overran it, they just they let them still do what they did because they, this was still in effect. And really? They, that they would not bomb those camps because they promised the Iranians, or not the Iranians, the Muslims, they wouldn't do that. Let Hitler do whatever he had to do. And I know it sounds crazy, but that's, there's a lot more on this than I'm telling you. And so you've got this book very well documented. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, I sent this to, um, to Israel, to the Jews themselves, to see what they thought of it. Actually, I was afraid of something. <laughs> I was afraid, after reading, you know, Genesis and a bunch of other places where it said that if a Gentile or anybody else curses a Jew, they'll incur God's wrath the other way around. And I curse one particular Jew in here a lot. 
So I sent the three Orthodox rabbis that I didn't know from Adam. Do you know that all three of those eventually got a hold of me and asked me, who will you curse him? I said, Ben-Gurion, the, the, you know, the first chancellor of, uh, uh, of Israel. And they said, you have great blessings in heaven every time you mention that. So, really? And that, so they said, is no curse incurred. So I feel a lot better now in this museum. <laughs> but, um, well, Ben-Gurion, like I say, he, I've had many, I have had a lot of Jews from Israel come in here, none of which were Orthodox. But they didn't believe it, what I, what I know about Ben Gurion. Well, there's no way you cannot believe it because I've got books on what he did and uh, it's written by Jews. And uh, so anyway, so they signed this thing. And immediately, Great Britain told the world, Belfort Agreement, World War I, no longer exists. All you Jews are enemy aliens now, and you cannot be anywhere near the British Commonwealth, anywhere on this planet and Roosevelt kicked in right after this, and he had 32 nations show up in Yvonne, France. That's an amazing place, Yvonne, France. I had a senator walk in here last week. She said, I've been there, and I've been in the motel. They have all this document. I said, I know, I know, I know. But Yvonne, it was a very, very wicked man as far as Jews go, but that's where Roosevelt picked. Anyway, 32 nations showed up, 20 health organizations like Red Cross, and they all signed an agreement there'll be no safe havens for Jews on this earth. Keep them all in Europe. Really? And the Red Cross never helped one Jew the entire war. Really? They stuck to their guns. Only one nation broke their promise, and that was Denmark. Uh, and Denmark did unbelievable, wonderful things. Okay, here's, here we go. So that's how the war started. That's when the Jews decided we got to get boats and get out here on our own, because no one's going to help us. That's why I have all, all these models I have. I had to find photographs of them somewhere on this planet. I sat down and designed and built the model. So I have the only boats in existence that tell you this story. And okay, and you hand-built every All one of these, these from scratch. Wow, these are marvelous pieces. Uh, I had, uh, um, three days ago, I had a man and a woman, they're Israeli, live in Israel, and they were here working with A&M on a project. And they came in and had some people in here, so I didn't get to talk much to them. But they were listening to me while I was telling them. And then I walked right about here, and they walked up to me. And they were very bold. One got on one side, one got on the other side, a man and a woman. And they looked at me and says, when we get back to Israel, we're going to go to, uh, there's an organization in Israel that's responsible for the gardens in Israel where they plant trees for righteous gentiles and they but you have to like schindler you have to be something really famous that you did like like this japanese guy right here uh they just need to be documentary on sigura he saved six thousand jews so anyway they said you're going to receive in, in a, a short while a letter from israel saying you are now a righteous gentile they're going to plant trees in your honor and they're going to put your names on them really and I, that it's never heard of i i Never would have dreamed. What did I do? You know, yeah, I have a museum. I know that, but I didn't save six thousand Jews. I didn't save any Jews, and uh, but they didn't care. They said, no, no, no. The fact that you did this, and it, it, there's nothing like this in the entire world. And they can't even believe that anybody could have done a museum on. Nobody has done a museum on the people that died on these boats. All these boats were gone at the end of the war. They destroyed them, so no one would know that. We didn't even know this happened until 1948. And that lady over there on that picture, her name was Ruth Gruber. She's the one who revealed the world that this was going on. And here's another thing. How did the, how did the Jews 
get out of Europe after the war. People know about the war, and they know about the Nuremberg trials, but do they know that Eisenhower and Patton went against the Jews for the first two months afterwards? We have nothing on those first two months. They started their filming on the third month. Patton, uh, Truman was our president. He sent food, clothing, Red Cross, everything the Jews needed in those camps and uh, told Eisenhower and Patton, get in the German towns and take the Jews out. I mean, the Germans out and put the Jews in there and get the Red Cross in there. Patton gave all that to 4.5 million SS and German officers. Not one Jew received it. And really? all the magazines, Life, Time, all them, that wrote about what they found in these camps, all the horrible things they saw, these dead people down there, they never mentioned the Jews were in there. Not one magazine on this earth. So all this happened. The Jews were left there to die. And they no food, no clothing, no nothing. Hundreds of camps, mostly women and children. And uh, guess what? All of Europe started massacring the Jews again, 250,000 of them, just in Poland alone. They were massacring every Jew they could find. And our generals just sat there, did nothing. Nobody did. Of course, the United Nations, they didn't do a doggone thing. They hate the Jews then. They hated them now. So Truman, Washington Post, New York Times, good guys back then. They came and they told him, why aren't we helping the Jews? You know what England did. Why are we doing the same thing? And he said, don't worry, I took care of it. He said, no, your generals went against you. That's Eisenhower and Patton in particular. So he called him and found out. He sent, her, he sent a, 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 a curator. They came back and said, uh-oh, it's true. They have nothing. This is only two months after the war, though. The third right. month, Eisenhower changed his mind when he got a phone call from Truman. And he did wonderful things, wonderful things. We all know that. But they just don't know about the first two months. I don't know why he did what he did. But Patton had to be fired. That's how he ended up losing his whole career, because of what he did to the Jews. And uh, he wrote letters to his wife, tons of them. Anybody can get them. And he said, this Nuremberg trials is a big joke. He says, the only decent people left in Europe are the SS. <laughs> That's what Patton said. Yeah, he said the, only, the Germans are the only ones. That are he said, all these displaced persons, the Russians and whoever else is in these camps, they're worthless. They're not going to help Europe at all. But the Jews, they're not even human beings. They need to be dealt with. And that's when Truman got rid of them. And wow. uh, he was our greatest general. Remember? Remember? In Babylon, you had Nebuchadnezzar. You had Sennacherib in Syria. You had Titus. God picked all those guys, and they were evil too. But they were supposed to do what God said. No assimilation. And they're doing it. Deal with it. But they did horrible things to the Jews. They weren't supposed to do that. That's why those nations were destroyed. And that's what happened to Germany. I won't get into all that. But anyway, so now we know how everything was set up. So the Jews, they would go, they had very little money, and they would uh, lease as many boats as they could from Spain, from Portugal, from uh, Romania, Bulgaria. They just got these boats, put as many Jews on as they could, and they were rotten boats. They were no good. They stole the money, literally, from the Jews. And then they, uh, they tried to make their way to Palestine. But... Don't forget the Jew for oil agreement. Uh, that's, once the Balfour was gone, they put an entire fleet of ships, British fleet of ships, in front of Palestine just to fight these boats. Why weren't they out there going after the submarines? Churchill needed every boat he could. To, he thought he was going to lose the war submarines. So what's, he, what's going on? Churchill had nothing to do with this. They didn't listen to Churchill. He liked the Jews, but he didn't have time. It was the Commonwealth and, 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 and the Palestinians the Jews over there, a guy named McDonald, they wouldn't let the Jews come there because they signed this agreement. So what'd they do? If they captured these boats, they usually killed who was the captain and the crew, 
and the rest of them, they would send them to Cyprus. And there, there was an island over there, you know, in, uh, in Greece that had nothing. It was just an island. They just threw them on there. And um, uh, at the end of the war, there were 56,000 Jews on Cyprus. Every single one of them became Israelis. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, God works in mysterious ways. They had another 50 plus thousand over there at Atlet camp there in Israel. They all became Israelis. So the, the British saved a lot of Jews, and they, they did, that's not what they wanted to do. But anyway, so let me, let's make some, those people who listen to this, they know about the St. Louis. There's a lot of people coming in. But what they don't know, these are books right here in Washington, D.C. They do all this printing, wonderful printing, about the captain of this boat, how he saved the Jews, and all that kind of stuff, even though we lost a few. But guess what? Disingenuous. You'll never hear this. There were two more cruise ships sitting here. And another one called the Aronco on its way. Roosevelt sent all them to their death. There were really? 250 that died on this, 200 on this one, 300 on that one. And then this one, the Jewish Joint Society here in America, Distribution Society, they grabbed those 50 from Roosevelt and hit them. And they all ended up in, in America. So they, that story is never told. It's all in here. So, uh, oh, by the way, when I sent this to the rabbis, they not only wrote me back and said that's the best documented book they've ever seen on the Ali Abed, and they also said um, that they used this book to teach Jews what happened in the Ali Abed. Really? Well, that's a great honor. Oh, that is. I'm not, I, I'm not Orthodox. I'm not a Jew at all, for heaven's sakes. I'm a Gentile. <laughs> so, but anyway, I'm just telling you, this is a great story. All these books, I have a library here. 15 years ago when I started this, uh, they, they, for some reason, 15 years ago, all the books that were censored, Roosevelt censored every book on this, especially the the, the war the war the um, the war board to prevent people from uh, killing Jews towards the end of the war because he'd take them and they do it they would uh, uh, war crimes they would charge them with war crimes but they wouldn't pass that war board they refused to until all the last million were killed and then Roosevelt started the war board. Really, that this is a sorry, not just. When I say real, I'm talking about his entire State Department. They did that the whole world. They could have saved millions. Eichmann, Eichmann, this right here. Eichmann offered millions of Jews for sale. All the people had to do was collect the money. But the Jews in America would not allow it. Wow. And they let them go. The thing that's amazing, as much as the story, is that they've managed to bury the history so deep that it's it, your museum's one of the only ones that even tell this story. There are two other museums. They don't have any ships or anything, the artifacts that I have. But it's just like Washington, D.C. They have a story about how many boats, the 144 of them, and, and, and they, how many Jews came across. But they don't mention any of this other stuff. They, okay. Now listen. On one end of this story, you have the Ergen. That's the name of a, a, a paramilitary organization that, that tried to help Jews. And that was run by a guy by the name of Menachem Begin. Okay. Now, he's considered evil in, in, in everything ever written about him. He's evil in everything. He did all this bad stuff. On the other end was Ben Gurion. And he's considered a hero. It's just the other way around. Now, I know that he been uh, Menachem Begin. He blew up a British uh, motel and killed him. But what did Churchill say at the end of the war? He said it hadn't been for Menachem Begin, there wouldn't have been an Israel today. He's the one who defeated the British. Wow. And uh, he, and guess who was working with he Menachem He defeated Begin? the Germans. Yeah, the Germans. Okay. Well, he defeated the British. 
That's okay. what Churchill was talking about. Because the British that was keeping the Jews away from getting to Palestine, and yet it was Menachem Begin that got him kicked out of Palestine. Okay. He's the one who got him kicked out because he was blown up there. He was fighting. Jews were not allowed to have weapons. The British said no weapons by Jews and gave them all to the Muslims. The Muslims had tons of weapons. It was horrible what was going on in Israel. So, um, 108,000 of them made it. That's how many, all the way through 1948, there were 108,000 of them that survived. That was one in every four Jew in Israel when they became a state. That's how important this was. Wow. Um, so, now, what was I going to tell you? Uh, oh, guess who was working with Menachem Begin? Tell me. Eleanor Roosevelt the entire time. Eleanor Roosevelt? And he never knew, he died, Roosevelt never knew his wife was involved in all this. Really? He refused to help Jews the whole war. He refused. And he wouldn't pass the war board to save the last million Jews in Hungary. He waited till they're dead. And then he said, okay, now we'll have a war board. I know it sounds crazy, but this is what happened. And Eleanor was behind, going behind his back. Oh, behind her, his back. Wow. And uh, as a matter of fact, when the Nuremberg trials are going on, after the war's over with, right. the Jews were being, I told you, they were being massacred all over again. Nobody's, no, the, surely the, the, uh, um, um, oh, the United Nations would have stopped it, but they hated the Jews like they do today. They did nothing. They, they didn't help any of these people in these camps. They were dying like 13,000 a day just in, and just in uh, uh, Patton's camps. So here's what happened. Truman, when he was told what was going on, he prayed to God, prayed to God. I've got this. I have the story. He prayed and said, God, what am I going to do? You know, we know what the British did, but everybody's coming to me, and they're saying, I'm responsible. I need to do something. I said, and I told him I already did. I sent all that food and clothing, but our generals went against me. What am I going to do? God told him right then and there in his dream. He said, be silent and know that I'm the Lord. That's what he said. And that's Psalm 46.10. He quoted, he quoted Psalm 46.10. This is God in his dream. And then he told him, go get Eleanor Roosevelt. So he, he woke up. <laughs> He went to work. By, by noon, he gave up and said, all right, get Eleanor in here. So here comes Eleanor. Eleanor, I just had a dream last night. You know what's going on in Europe and everything. But he didn't know she was doing all this. He said, now look. He said, God says, that I'm going to send you over there, and you're going to, you're going to get the Jews out of Europe. And she said, well, where's the boat? Where's the boat? <laughs> um, now, this is interesting. Where's the boat? Do you remember Abraham when he went to Sodom and Gomorrah and three angels came to visit him? Right. Remember that story? Christians say that was Jesus and two angels. No, it wasn't. It's not true. It's well recorded who they were. Three angels. It was Gabriel, Michael, and Raphael. That's interesting. Michael, the greater of the three, came as a ship's captain. Really? Uh, Gabriel came as a, a merchant, and um, Raphael came as a Bedouin. But ship's captain was Michael. What are we talking about here? Ships. Ships. So he was in charge. Michael was involved in all this. So anyway, and, and I think Eleanor knew it. I mean, I, look, I'm not saying women are the greatest thing on the planet, but God works with women. That's what he does. And there are four wonderful women in World War II. There wouldn't be no Jews without them. And she's one of them. And she's not even Jews. So here's the deal. She, uh, uh, she did go. She went to all the camps. Took her many months to do it. And uh, they all said they wanted to go to Auschwitz. They said, you already killed our children. You killed our grandpappies and our grandmoms, and all the Europe was massacring us. Now, we're going to be dead in a few weeks anyway, so what the heck, Auschwitz. And uh, she went to the United Nations. I'm going really fast now. She went to the United Nations and said, whatever came out of that woman's mouth, and I know what came out, but those men agreed. She changed all their hearts. 
who, who can do that today with the United Nations? Right. I mean, nobody. But well, I say nobody. God doesn't say that. He sent that woman and she did it. That is the one. That's the lady who got the Jews out of Europe. She got the ball rolling. And wow. guess who fell in love with her? Eisenhower. He offered everything. He gave boats, anything she wanted to get him out. But Roosevelt stopped it. Wow. So, uh, so here we go. Okay, now as we come into the museum, yes, I want to just describe what we're looking at. He's got glass cases with boats and ships in them. The first one we see is... Uh, SS St. Louis. SS St. Louis, and it's a, it's a big ship. How many people would that carry? This ship had a thousand Jews on okay, it, and a plus thousand. the rest of the crew. And it's and it's a nice size ship. And then he's got several other. He's he's got uh, one down here. Is that is that a sailing ship? Yes. Well, there's a couple of sailing. They were ships. sailing. Well, they were that one is, but these were sailing ships. They usually put motors in them. Oh, okay. Yeah, all the sail stuff they took off. <clears throat> okay, but these are these are a little bit smaller models. The, oh the, yeah. The top one, the St. Louis, is probably uh, two foot long. Two foot? No, that's forty. 48, 50 is inches. It, is yes. it 50 inches? Yes, and that thing, these, these boats cost me about $3,500 each to build. Really? And how long does it take you to build them? Um, depends. When I was working, I built these two huge ships here that at the same time. It took me a year, but I moved to here. Okay. But, uh, nah, once I got rolling on that, if I'm not, well, I'm not working anymore, I can build them all like that probably in about four months. Okay, and and do you carve indiv all the individual parts These like your all, lifeboats? They're and... all plank on frame. They have the frames inside everything, and I buy a piece of uh, uh, poplar wood at the lumber yard to cut right. it, and then uh, that's what I strip it with. And then if it's metal, I sand it down and put uh, bondo on it and sand that down, and uh, that's to make it look like metal. But all the decks are cherry decks. The cher the, that cherry, all these cherry decks cost me no less than uh, six hundred dollars for one deck. Now I couldn't afford it. Now I, right. I, I can't do cherry decks. The wood's gone sky high on me. But we're talking very detailed ships oh, as yes. far as the cables, the masts, the lifeboats, uh, the props, the colors. Everything is very, very detailed. In my book, I have a photograph of the actual ship, and then the model is right there. So you get to look. And say, I mean, that's just the way it is. This is my my talent. I can take a photograph, sit down, design, and build the entire model. And if it doesn't have a good a picture of the deck, I obviously I can't build it. But uh, now that's a very interesting boat right there. They can't see it, but that's a little boat. That boat was amongst a whole bunch of boats on a photograph on the Ali Abed, and it had Jews on it. But this one, this was loaded hundreds of Jews on that little boat. On that little boat, how, yeah. how big was it in real life? Uh, that boat was about maybe uh, oh I'm gonna guess forty foot long. Wow, that's not real big. Not big at all. Now. And it's, it doesn't have real high sides or, or anything else. No, it looks like you'd be exposed to weather. It's a fishing motorboat. Yeah. I didn't know what that was. I, so I, I just put it in my collection. Guess what happened? Uh, a month and a half ago, I had a young couple come in here, probably in their mid, late 30s maybe. They walked, uh, or that 40s. They walked in there. She immediately sat down in that chair, took her phone out, and then started totally ignoring me. And I'm standing here. He walked clear down there. Look at the malls. And, and neither one of them said a word to me. Hello, how you doing? And then she starts screaming out loud, I got her, I got her. He runs down here and grabs that phone out of her hand, and he takes that phone and he says, Esther, I got somebody for you to meet. And said, uh, he's building a collection, and you were probably on one of his boats. 
So I got the phone and had a 92-year-old lady who they're doing a documentary on him. And I said, uh, Esther, how you doing? She said, how are you? I said, what? Well, you think you're on one of my boat? We, the all all bet? She said, yes, I was on the Exodus. The Exodus, that's the most famous boat in all my stories. I said, the Exodus? What in the world were you doing on the Exodus? She said, well, have you seen the movie? Uh, with Paul Newman on uh, Exodus 1947. It's what made Paul Newman famous, his first movie. And it, Exodus was about this story. This, this is the Exodus story. And I said, well, yes, I have seen that movie. She says, Paul Newman, he played the Haganah officer. Okay, what's Haganah officer? Every time the Jews had a boat, they had what we call Batar, which is an organization that trained guys to be the MPs of the boats. And then R, they were, are the leaders of the boat, I should say. But the Haganah guys, they were the MPs of the boat. Yes, but there was only one on that boat. That is a big boat, 4,500 people on that boat. She said, that was my husband, the, the man uh, Paul Newman portrayed. I said, you, you're really? alive? And she said, yes, of course I'm alive. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> on the boat. And she said, let me tell you what he did. They, they dropped us off, some of us off at Cyprus, and then they send that boat, not that boat, but all the people had taken off the boat. They, they put them in cages like birds. And they stuck them on three big British boats, and they drop a few of them off, but that's not recorded anywhere in my books. But by golly, she was dropped off. And then they off went to, they took them all, not the Cyprus, they took them back to Germany, put them in a camp, concentration camp. And um, there was a Jew standing there in Haifa before they put them in the cages, and she was there. Her name was Ruth Gruber. She just died about five years ago. She was a journalist, a Jewish journalist. And she said, hey, can I go with him? Can I go with him? They said, are you Jewish? She said, yeah, I'll get her a cage, put her on that boat. And they know she was a journalist. She was famous. Ruth Gruber was so famous in World War II. The women did unbelievable. There was another girl. Her name was Ruth Kluger. Oh, my God. I got her boat. She stole boats from the British. Really? <laughs> and the British loved her, even though she was stealing their boats. The fact that a woman could do that right from under. I got great stories on women in here. So, But she's the one who went with them all the way to Germany. And when she got there, she had all her journalists from all over there. And she gave out the information. And that's how we found out in 1945 that this was going on the entire war. Nobody would have known it. Wow. So... And she worked with Eleanor Roosevelt during this time. She and Eleanor knew each other. So, I mean, Eleanor, Eleanor Roosevelt. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> so they were killing everybody. Truman had a dream. He said, go get her. She got her. Everything God told her, him, uh, 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 Truman and Eleanor did it. So, God bless Eleanor. All right, now, so that boat, this lady was on the, the uh, her name is Esther. She was on that boat. And she said, well, when they dropped us off, she was very young. She married the guy. And they, they were on Cyprus. She, she said, my husband volunteered for the biggest job on the on thing. What was that? The trash detail. It was horrendous because you know, that's 56,000 people. So what do you do? You get all the trash and you have to drop it off down there by the sea. And at night, the British come and get it. What do you do? You throw children in those trash cans, in the trash bags, and lock them up in there and put them down there by the sea for the British to come get them. Guess what? She said this boat would come get him from Israel at night and take him out of the trash cans and take him to Israel. And I, that was the boat. I that actually boat right built there. a boat boat long before I ever met her. There it is. I didn't know wow. what it was for, but now I know that was the boat. And it was taking Jewish children. The children out of those trash and hauling them off to Israel at night. Wow. Wow. What are your chances of me building that boat? I'm, I'm sorry. No, no. I'm what are the chances of some people coming and sitting down oh and putting God. you in contact with the lady? Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, the, the coincidence of you building the boat is much greater than that one, I think. Yes. And the lady still being alive to tell you what the boat I'm was for. I'm going to see her. She lives in uh, uh, Arizona. I'm going to go visit her. Uh, their daughter. She lives with her daughter. And she said, you, they're doing a documentary on us right now. I said, okay, I'll wait. But then I want to go visit with her. And uh, she, she's, it's, she's, in 92, she looks like she's really in good health. So anyway. Okay, so uh, when you come on down. You got another case with another boat that's got to be about five foot long again. Now this one, this one, <laughs> boy. That one got me in trouble. Uh-oh. It's the only boat in here that got me in trouble. Why'd you get in trouble? I got in trouble with Rick Perry, the governor of the state of Texas. Really? For building a boat? For building that one. And what? tell me the story. Hmm. Can't tell me the story? I can. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be careful, because Rick Perry started the Holocaust and Genocide Commission by, by the time I started, 15, 16 years ago. But then they found out I had these ships, and he had eight commissioners. And he sent a few of them to me, telling, hey, we want to see your boats. We want to use them to go across uh, Texas schools and teach uh, junior high and elementary all about the Holocaust. I said, well, that's wonderful. But right now, uh, there's a place over here in Midland called, it's a Christian international TV station called God's Learning Channel. And they already got a hold of me and wanted to bring all my boats. Because uh, even though it's Christian, they love Jewish stuff, and they want to tell the story. It's a two-hour. I said, meet me over there, and you can see all the boats. So they did. And... Uh, uh, before the show was over with, or just at the end, I, they brought out this boat. This is the book about it. It's called The Hundred Year Secret by um, people that were on this boat. They're the ones who wrote it. So, and it's uh, written by it's written Benjamin by ben Jacobs. He okay. was on this boat. Okay. Now, they say it's a hundred year secret. They say this never happened. This story never happened. Although this boat is still over there in the Baltic in a place called Neustadt. It's sitting right there in shallow water. It's plain as day. And I've got pictures of it and everything in my book. So here's what happened. Uh, um, just before the ended, uh, war ended, Hitler was still alive. He told Hitler to go get as many Jews as you can out. It's called the Death Marches. And said, run them up the Baltic. We got some bold, old boats out there. No good anymore. This was a beautiful cruise ship before the war. And that's called the, it's called the Capricona. But it wasn't any good anymore. But that boat, that one there, and I got another one. Uh, they brought only, only 10,000 of them made it up there. And they put 5,500 on here, 2,800, 2,500 on the other one. Anyway, so they're all these Jews. These are Germans. These are gypsies. These are Russians. They were all on there. And, uh, and the war ended. And they're just sitting out there. And two British uh, journalists and two Canadian journalists. At the same time, they saw all these boats out there, and they had, Amer they had a, a white flag and had a Red Cross flag, and they had all of them running on the decks, please save us, save us, get them off these boats, get off these boats. So what they do? They notified the Royal Navy that there were a bunch of uh, people in those camps that were still alive. They were going to take them out and sink them. Wow. But they, they survived the war. Because the journalists found them. Yes. They notified the Royal Navy. And they didn't know the Royal Navy had signed this agreement, Jew for Oil. They came and destroyed them, killed them all. All the people? 10,000 of them. Really? Sank they the ships? Bombed them. They bombed them with, uh, what do they call them, typhoon bombers? They, 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 they bombed these things. Took them all day long, and the people fell in the water, mostly women and children. It was shallow water. And they came back and shot them. Okay, for refill, come back, shoot them. Refill, shoot them. They shot everybody. And those that made it to the shores, the people of Newstock came out and did things to their bodies. So, and they took them all, 
They, it's like Galveston Beach. It looks like Galveston. They dug up the beach, put 10,000 people there, covered them up. Up till 1971, their bones kept coming up. They really? finally had to dig them all up and bury them in graves, and they still say it never happened. Now, wow. why, why did that offend anybody? Well, when I did my show, the, 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 they were there, and I just got to be careful what I say, but they, they let me know at the end of the show that they had nothing to do with me ever again because I had the audacity. This is the very worst, the audacity of you to, to bring that boat up. And uh, I really can't tell you why, but I know why, and it's just not a good story. Remember, it, it had something to do with this right here, the Jew for Oil Agreement. So, uh, but there were, there were more than the British involved in that agreement. So, but wow. Rick Perry, his groups, they asked me to build this boat. They asked me to build it. I said, wait, Albert Ballon. Uh, uh, so I said, okay, I'll build it. $4,000 later, they walked away from me. Oh. I still got the boat. Well, it's nice in this museum. I like the boat. Yeah. This got Again, it's another, it's another four or five foot boat. Uh, the detail on these boats is just phenomenal. Well, this part was actual Jewish. Albert Ballon had the biggest uh, fleet of cruise ships in the world, World War I and World War II. Had to be a German. And so they took them all away from him. He committed suicide the second time. The Germans took it. They didn't want Albert Ballon on it. By the way, if you go to Germany today, I've had many Germans come in here. Once they see that word Albert Ballon, they started yelling at me. He says, do you know who Albert Ballon is? I said, well, I do now. He said, he, he was more famous, still more famous than Hitler was. They got more streets and buildings and everything on Albert Ballon. He was a Jew, for heaven's sakes. But anyway, they took his boat. They cut it in half. They added 50 feet and glued the end back on. Really? And it, and it increased it by five knots. The Germans figured that out. It made the boat go faster Five by making it Five knots faster. Wow. Now, this boat was eventually sunk. <coughs> so you got Jew here, German there, and they called it Hansa. It sunk. The Russians kept track of every boat that was sunk in World War II with smart cookies. And then they went after the ones they wanted, and they wanted this one. So 10 years later, they raised this guy. And then only this part is what it looked like when the Russians rebuilt it. But it was so beautiful when they rebuilt it. I, 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 I Why did they want to rebuild it? For a cruise ship. Okay. They made a lot of money off this boat. Really? But it was when they built cruise ships, <laughs> they were pretty. So, anyway, but, but I have it. I have the boat. Now, what two nations in the world during World War II, during World War II, after the Jew for Oil by the British and after Roosevelt's uh, Yvonne France Committee, what happened? There were two nations that just like that, they said, we're going to get every Jew we can find and take them to America and anywhere they want to go. And nobody knows about it. It was just in 38. They saved thousands of Jews. What two nations did that? You're going to have to tell me. The Italians? The Italians had four... The Italians. Now, the Italians were, were part of the Axis, right? I know. But they were, but they were this, saving Jews. This is 1938. War was 39. 39. Okay, so, but, uh, so the previous two yes, wars. Yes, 38. Okay. After they signed the Jew for All, and they did the, 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 the Roosevelt did his conference in even France. The, the Italians had a big naval fleet, but they had four absolutely gorgeous cruise ships called the Apocalypse, the Four Horsemen Apocalypse, and they were those colors, green, white, uh, red, and uh, orange. Okay, this was the Contaverde. Now, I built that one in particular because I thought it was so doggone beautiful. Anyway, so I built it. Now, what they do is they went and got Jews from Tristi and Genoa. As many Jews, they were transferred there. The Germans allowed it. They put them on their boats and took them to a place called Shanghai because... Remember, the Great Britain and uh, America shut down all the uh, safe havens everywhere in the world. Right. That was the only one left, except the Danube, if you can get through it. But anyway, so that's where they sent them. 
But this is where America and Great Britain and uh, France had their opium ministry, and they didn't want any Jews there. They already had a Jew contingent, that they, but they didn't want 20,000 Jews by these boats. So they worked a deal with Hitler and stopped it. So they could have saved a lot of Jews, but wow. they stopped it. That's it. The, that's, the war's not even started, and they're stopping the Jews from coming. Anyway, so that's what this book's about. It's very, very good. Now, the Germans didn't stop. It's called Exodus to Shanghai, Stories of Escape from the Third Reich. Yes. By Steve Hochstadt. This is a very good story, and it talks a lot about this ship in particular. All right, now the Germans, they didn't stop. They had beautiful cruise ships, and they sent them out. They sent them mostly to Manila and places like that. So those are brought there, but, but, but then the war started. But before it started, the Japanese weren't in the war yet. Remember that? Right, they weren't in the right. war. The Japanese, they got a hold of the Jews, and they said, now listen. We know that Roosevelt said for the next 10 years there'll be no immigration of Jews in America, but we can trick him. We can write fake visas. We know how to do all that. All the Jews in, Nor in the north part of America, which there are more there than there are in Israel, they all came on Japanese boats in 1938. Really? They brought them on their most beautiful cruise ships they had. Now, what's interesting about the Japanese and the Italians, no other boats can say this. When they got on those boats... The captain went out to sea and stopped the boat <laughs> out and sea. He said, now look, we got Jews on board this ship. Of course, he had them all together. We got Jews on board this ship. The Japanese did the same thing. He says they're going to walk the same decks. They're going to swim in the same pools. They're going to eat at the same table. They're going to eat the same food. And they're going to pay the same fare as you are. If you don't like it, get off my boat. No other country in the world ever said that to a Jew. Huh. They surely didn't do that on any other ships. But that's, that's what happened. So the Japanese did all that. Uh, and then, of course, the Japanese, during the war, they put barriers, literally, like even Shanghai, they put a big barrier out, and the Gestapo never got one Jew from any Japanese, not in Singapore, Tokyo, not in, uh, they saved all the Manila ones, they saved all of them. And uh, Hitler never got a one of the Japanese Jews. No, they weren't kind to, uh, they weren't kind to anybody, but they didn't kill Jews. Huh. Uh, they, were, they, they were harsh, but they didn't kill them. So, that's a great story. Now, the Italians, they went after all the boats they could find in World War II. And they took the Jews and hit them in, 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 in Italy, and they all were survived. That boat had 518 people. <laughs> Look at that boat. Can you imagine that out in the... Uh, it's a stern wheeler. <laughs> well, the side, side uh, paddle wheel. That's called the Pencho. Y'all look it up. The Pencho. It was a, uh, on the Danube, and nobody wanted it. Germans didn't want it. It was an 89-year-old cattle boat. It had a five-foot draft. Just that, the five-foot draft, the white part wasn't on it. And they paid $30,000 for it and put 518 Jews on after they finished the bedrooms and everything. And they had to take them through the Great Defile there with, with tugboats to get them out of the Black Sea. And Hitler said, let them go. The Black Sea, that boat won't survive. 89 years old. And it had a captain and his wife, they were both morphine addicts. He was a Russian Jew, had one leg, and he, that's all they did. Give him morphine and we'll drive the boat. Well, it made it through the Black Sea. It made it through the GNC. It made it into the Mediterranean, and it ran into the uh, Italian minefields that were not marked. It sat there for a week trying to get to the minefield. <coughs> the mines kept getting jammed in the paddock wheel and slowed oh. them just an iron hull. And it slowed them down so much they ran out of fresh water on Yom Kippur. And the, the, the Italians jumped on them and said, how did you get to those minefields? They said, well, they were mad because, well, now we, now we can't make it. <laughs> they said, what do you mean? You're not going to make it in the ocean on this. And we made it through the Black Sea. How did you do that? They said, well, maybe God had something to do with it. 
So they went down there to see what was going on. All these children were down there playing the cow poop and, and the lice and the rats, and they were full of it. And they came up screaming and crying and said, you know what, we're all, these, all of us are, man, we're fighting the war, but you're the real heroes of this world. How dare you put your children on a boat like that and go out in the ocean and, expect, and yet you expect God to help you? <laughs> and he did. So they took them and hit them. In the, I mean, that's what they did. The Italians wow. did wonderful things. So wow. I, I like stories like that. Uh, yeah, these are awesome stories. So all that, that's, the, that's, that's Ruth Gruber. She died five years ago. And that's uh, the, the uh, Exodus. That's about the story. If you haven't seen that. Um, is it a movie? Oh, gosh. This is a beautiful oh, movie. Oh, that's the one you were talking about. Yeah. The Paul and that Mo- first one, The Voyage of the Dam, right. I get more phone calls than anything in the museum because of that movie. It's an incredible movie. 1976. But it's about uh, the SS St. Louis. Okay. I remember... I'm going to have to watch these movies. Oh, yes. I'm not, I don't watch movies. I hardly ever watch movies. But this is 1970. Look, look, the movie stars that are in that. It's unbelievable who's in that thing. Uh, uh-oh. What's going wow. on out there? The and in this case, you've got a total of uh, five different ships. Yes. Again, uh, you've got the, what was the name of this one? That's, that's the Exodus. Oh, the Exodus. And then you've got some other smaller this ships. This is the one. There's a lady, and I'm naming This is the, the Darien, too. Uh, there was a lady. There were five people in the Mossad. Who's the Mossad? They were the secret society that nobody knew who they were. And they were, they were in charge of all the paramilitary people, like the Haganah and the Ergen. They're the ones who tried to get these boats out of here. They were in charge of it. But nobody knew who the ten people were. One of them was a woman. Her, one. They only had one woman. Her name was Ruth Kluger. And uh, she's the one I'm telling you about that I laugh at because how many, she stole that boat, for example, and she went and got Jews and took them, took them to Palestine. Wow. The, the, the women did amazing things in, in, in World War II. So, this is Denmark ships. I separate those because those do exist. These, these oh, they're ex- still around? Oh, yes. This is in the, these, things are, these are in museums. That one's not, this one's not. But this, uh, the uh, Swedish Red Cross... They did go after Jews, but they mostly after their own. But at least they went after Jews. In Denmark, it's the only nation that can say this. The only nation that can say what I'm getting ready to tell you. They saved their own 8,000. They didn't go after saving any other Jews, but they did save their 8,000. Um, uh, the only other country I can think of that did that was Bulgaria. They saved their 50,000, but they had a lot more than 50,000 in uh, a satellite areas around them, and they try to get Roosevelt to help them because they give the boat. So use our boats and just help me get food. And he said, no, let them go to Auschwitz. Wow. He said, no. So anyway, here's the deal. You have these, uh, these boats. When the war ended, they had taken them all to Sweden, and then they brought them back, and here's what happened. They found somebody painted all their houses inside and out, and they found somebody built fences all the way around to keep their animals in there. But then they gave them their keys to their businesses, the only nation in the world. When they went to their businesses, nothing was stolen. Really? The only nation didn't... Now, you know they stole something. Right. But the Germans didn't tear them the, the smithereens. They had a livelihood after the war. They started right up like they did before the war. Only the Denmark people did that. We didn't even do that with the Japanese that we interred. We sure didn't. I mean, yeah. Well, that's, and this, that's, this one boat down here in the corner is really intriguing. It's an interesting-looking boat. It's got a very long, skinny bow on it. And uh, There are two boats in this museum that everybody, everybody, literally everybody, comments on, and that's one of them. And explain the boat. Well, see, all these boats that they used, they were private boats. They, they just got as many. Anybody had a private boat, they ran, put Jews on and tried for two weeks to get them over to Sweden. There was an organization called the, um, um, 
It's called the Sewing Club. What do they call it? The, 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 there's a name after a town there. The, uh, oh, why, my brain's gone blank. I, I wish I could help you, but this is a whole uh, new story to me. I've well, heard nothing there was about a town, and, and they, they called, whatever the name of that town was, the Hellsinger, Hellsinger Sewing Club. They're the ones in charge of getting all these private people to get the boats and get them over there. Well, that boat didn't really exist. I created this one. It's okay. funny, there's two boats in this whole museum that I made up out of my own mind because of my first collection I had, Mr. Gerald Mr. Exxon. He had a one show in Houston, and they, they all disappeared on me. And he said that was the greatest art show they ever had in Houston, Texas. Wow. And uh, remember the America's Cup? The, the right. America's? Well, Australia won in 1983. They won, I think it was 83. And they, the whole trip, the whole team came to see the collection. That was really? one of the boats. So I created that boat. But it, like, it was one of many. It, it, who knows? It, I don't have all the boats that they use. I know that one was. I know that was involved. I know that one was involved because we have those. So I just made that one up. But I just did that just to honor the museum. What's well, a, okay. a? It's a cool boat. These are uh, some of the books. This is a very interesting story here. It's called the Jews' Secret Fleet. Now, when the Nuremberg trials were going on, the Mossad came and they thought, you know what? America's not going to help us. Great Britain's not going to help us. The whole world, the United Nations, are all against the Jews, and they're all dying like flies over there. You know, whenever they think about asking the children of America to help us, can you believe they would come up with something like that? The children of America. So they snuck over here, snuck, okay. went on the East Coast, grabbed boys, 17 to 19, just grabbed them off the street, took them out for coffee or breakfast, and said, look, look, we just have a proposition. We bought 10 boats. After the war, we got 10 boats. They're rotten boats, but they're out there. And... Um, we don't have anybody to sail them over. We want someone to sell these boats over there and get as many Jews on that boat, at least get some of them and before they're all dead and take them over to Palestine. Knowing full well, if the British catch you, they kill you. They kill Americans, and they did. So these boys said they'll do it, 250 of them. They were American, Mexican, and Canadian boys, 250 of them. Really? Now, yes, and they got on these boats, and they were helped by Jewish boys. Uh, this, this was one of the boys. He was on one of the 10 boats. Um, when Murray I, S. Greenfield. Greenfield. And this is his sons who made this, who, who have this uh, organization to print these books. Okay, Mr. Greenfield called me. He was 98. He called me from Israel. I don't know how he found out about me, but he called me. And I answered the phone. He cried and cried and cried. An old man crying his head off. And I didn't know what, because I didn't know who it was. It was a prank or what, because I didn't know what it was for me. So anyway, finally, he, he got his courage back and he says, in his broken language, he says, are you Kim Thornsburg? And I said, yes, I am. So you have the, the Ali Albet Museum? And I said, yes. Where he goes again crying. I want to cry myself. But he cried, cried. And he came back and he said, and he wrote me a letter. And he could hardly read it. But anyway, he said, you are my best friend. And he died. Well, on the phone? No. Oh. He died shortly after that. Okay. He said, he wrote me several more letters. He said, you are my best friend. I prayed to God all my life that someone would do a museum and tell the story to the world. And it hurt wow. the that did it. And he was so, he loved me to death. He would tell me, I love you, I love you. And um, so anyway, here's what happened. Those boats went over there. They got 30,000 Jews on 10 boats. And they made their way to Israel. Of course, they were stopped. But this time, the Jews were so mad, because this is after the war, they wanted to sink them. So the Exodus was one of these boats, 4,500 people. And it's the one that made this famous. Well, they rammed that boat uh, seven times, and it wouldn't sink. So they had to take it and you know, put them on the cage and send them back to Germany. Uh, so, but can you imagine them thought that we didn't ask the children of America? That's the Jews. That's God's chosen people. Said we never asked the children of America, and they said yes. 
It's wow. wonderful. It's wonderful. All right. Um, have you ever heard? Well, let's tell you about this. What's one. the Crescent City? The Crescent City. This riverboat, my wife put this on YouTube. She wanted me to build a riverboat, and I told her no. And then it popped up and said, you did that. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I did. Yes, you But I love you a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll look at it and read this book. So here's the deal. This is the greatest maritime disaster in, in American history, that boat. It's a Civil War boat, a Mississippi boat. And the deal was, after the war, the government paid anybody $60 to take a Union soldier back home. Well, okay. of course, they ran the, the, to the Mississippi where the riverboats were, but they were all gone. This one couldn't go because out of the four boilers, three of them were cracked. So they were fixing the boilers. But a train of 2,500 soldiers showed up. Now, this is after everybody else was. Why? Because these were congressmen and senators and famous people that lived for a long life after this happened. And what they do? They ran and got on this boat. This boat could only hold 369 people. And they already had their 369, plus 2,500. They kept them like a fool. He thought, that's a lot of money, times $60. He took off, and it wow. blew up. And uh, it didn't sink. It blew up and killed 1,700 right off the bat, and then it started burning up everybody else. Now, uh, like the Titanic had 1,200 that were lost. This thing right. went 1,700, first explosion. I think I remember hearing this story. Oh, they still have a reunion once a year on the Mississippi. It's the biggest reunion in America of any subject, this, this story. Because all those senators and congressmen, they were famous people and their families are still famous. Well, I didn't know any of this. So I decided after reading this book, there were 10 riverboats that went after this boat and to save all the people. I said, told my wife, you know what, I'll build one of those boats. But there were no photographs of them except one. And that was the Crescent City. One photograph. And I said, Peggy, mm, that's enough. I can build that boat. So I, I sat down and built it. But the problem was, this is the only boat of the 10 that's never was on the register. It was never built. So how in the world, how does it exist? Wow. It was built and sunk immediately, and then the war started, and they just let it go. But someone raised it and turned it into a, a burnt victim hospital ship. So I built it. Now, in this town, we have a place called El Cosmico, and it's where they got yurts and teepees and tents all out there. People love that and head there. And then their headquarters was my mama's house that she built, and I grew up there in high school. So... One day, she called me in her room when she, I was 14, and she said, here's this watch. She handed me this, this watch right, right here, this pocket, pocket watch, watch, silver. And she said, don't lose this watch. That belongs to your great-great-grandfather, and he was a famous riverboat captain. So don't, don't forget it. Guess who the captain of this Crescent City was? You're joking. You no, know, and my wife is the one who, who got me started on this. I'm telling you, women are very peculiar. God talks to them. Sure enough, there it is. That, wow. it, he was the only, he were two captains. You already one. had the boat built yes, when you found this out. completely done. <laughs> wow. Yes. So you don't argue with your wife. Okay, here we go. Now. <laughs> it doesn't do any good anyway. <laughs> now, I know where you're from, but have you ever heard of the Alamo and Goliath and Sultan? Oh, yeah. All that kind. Okay. Now, the Alamo is over in Austin, of course. Now, this is the whole map all about the, the story. The Alamo? The Alamo. That's in, in San Antonio. Miami, San Antonio. Yeah, okay, you had, you had my, my, my geography I'm confused. i confused because this has to do with Austin, too. Right. Okay, okay. Okay, God, I'm sorry. Forgive no, me. Lord, it's okay. Forgive me. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm talking too fast. I'm trying to not... Okay, here we go. All right. All right. I'm getting control of myself. Okay, here we go. Now, what you see here is a riverboat called the Yellowstone, and then another uh, a little clipper above that. That didn't have a name on it, but here's the deal. And then that map is all about Texas history and about these boats. Here's the deal. 
I had the curator of uh, the Alamo here the other day. Okay. Big tall guy. And I stood him in front of this since this is Texas. I said, what do you think about my um, uh, display? He said, well, what about it? It's nice. I said, well, what, what do you mean about it? What about the Yellowstone? He said, what about it? I said, you're, you're a fool. And he said, what are you talking about? He's, he's getting, I was already mad. I said, you mean to tell me we have curators today that don't know nothing about uh, what they're curating? I said, it hadn't been for that riverboat, you wouldn't have the state of Texas. And you're trying to tell me you don't even know what it is? So here's the deal. You had uh, Santa Ana, he ran to the San Jacinto, and he knew that Sam Houston couldn't get to him. He had 6,000 and Sam Houston had 600. He couldn't get to him because he couldn't cross the river. So okay. they had their big party, got drunk. This boat showed up. Sam Houston never saw a riverboat before. It had arrows all over it because the Indians thought it was a ghost. So it was, it was only 110 foot long. But somehow he, he commandeered it. It took him all night to take 20 wagons, 400 horses, and 600 men across. The very next morning, before noon, we were at the state of Texas because of that riverboat. Really? Now, wow. after that happened, that's the same boat that took Stephen F. Austin to his gravesite. That's famous riverboat. Now, Stephen F. Austin... He took this boat right here, this cutter. Okay. And he went to Louisiana and made several trips to Texas and brought 300 cattle families, families to Texas and started the cattle industry in this state. And that's the boat that did it with Moses Austin. And uh, Moses, my wife, is related to Moses. And she's also um, uh, an O'Connor, which is one of the families, that, the cattle families that came over. Really? So guess who had me build all this? Your wife? God, you, you're smart. That's exactly right. And I did what she said. Now, this is interesting because the one that uh, had the families on it is a sail ship. Yes. And the other one is a, it's not a stern wheeler. What do you call the side paddlers? Side wheelers. Side, side wheelers. wheelers. Okay. The Yellowstone. And, and now this one here was floating on the river that the river walks on uh, through San Antonio? No. Okay. What this river were we This is primarily a, 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 a Brazos River. And the San Jacinto. Oh, okay, okay. And that book's all about it. And it has actual actual uh, measurements. So that's an exact copy of what the, it looked like. And uh, this, this railroad originally was up on the Yellowstone River up there, going all the way up into Wisconsin, places like, I think it's Wisconsin. Wyoming. Right up that way. Wyoming, I'm sorry, Wyoming. Yeah. That's where it went. And it was the only boat that could get up there and do the fur trade with the Indians and did the alcohol trade. And that's the only boat that did it. So, it's famous before it came down here. They rebuilt the whole thing in the So, it came up the Mississippi and the yes. Missouri. Yeah, and then it went, the went to Louisiana and they rebuilt it. And then it came to Galveston. But after Galveston, wow. it went back up to Yellowstone. That's why we have no record of it down in Galveston anymore. We don't know what happened to it. Well, I know what happened to it. It went back to do fur trade. But that's a famous boat. And it okay, now, I'm, I'm getting my years confused here. Let's get them confused. Okay, the fur trade yes. was big in the 1820s. Yes. Okay. The Alamo happened in 1860? Had to be around then. It would, was it before or after the Civil War? No, Civil War ended, what, around, what, 64, something like that? Yeah, the yeah, the Civil War would have ended around 1863, okay, Alamo, You got me. I don't know when the Alamo was. Okay, but I, it's, I find it interesting because I don't think there were a lot of side wheelers. And the fur trade, the fur trade, this, this wouldn't have... The side wheelers wouldn't have been popular in the early 1800s when the fur trade was going big. Sorry to question you on this. <laughs> I'm just, it's, it's. That's an actual pass to get on board it because it did passengers, but I don't see a date on there. I'm going to have to look up the Yellowstone and see if I can find my history because this is my country up well, there. Well, get the Donald Jackson book. 
that Voyages of the Steamboat Yellowstone. Yeah, Voyage of the Voyages of the Alamo. 1836 was the Alamo. When was that? 1836. So they must have had the side wheelers going in the early 1800s. Wow. I didn't realize that, that they were that early. I thought the Civil War was still being fought with uh, sailing ships. Well, they that had ironclad by then. They okay. Had, boy, they, they, well, they didn't have too many of those. They turned them into ironclads, uh, iron, like the Monitor and the Merrimack and stuff like that. Okay. So that, that's, that's what I have. Now, that this, is cool. I, I really, and, and again, all of these boats are so intricately, I mean, detailed. The details that you've got on these, as far as what's on deck and and the the cables and the sails and all of that stuff is just well, phenomenal. Well, model ship builders as a whole are phenomenal. I mean, they're artists. But so there are many different model collections that are wonderful, but I, I, there are none like this. There there are none that tell a story as big as this. The one. history that you yeah, got. This yes, history exactly. Here. So this boy, is just yeah, unbelievable. I got awesome. a great story that goes with that one, and now we'll know this ship. Here okay. we go. Now this is the only other one that I that I created out of my mind, and I wouldn't let Gerald Hines have this one, and so I held on to it. I love this boat, and um, it's a uh, in Houston. When I was in Houston, I had River Oak people, all kinds of people contact me when they heard I was building personality ships. They never heard of such a thing, and and I had uh, buyers in, in in England. These guys were they they went after every model ship they could find on the planet and brought them to England because as they say that they lock them up, their art there is, is more precious than Van Gogh, uh, anybody. Really? Picasso peanuts compared to model ships to the British. Well, they came to see me to see the first collection I had, and this is one of them. What, what was the personality ship? I, the, the family had to write down everything about their family, everything, and I sat down and designed and built a ship using that history, and I put their family in the history. It was wonderful. I built so many little boats in there. Wow. But I held that on to this cool. One. And all the lights worked on these. The cabins are all worked. The commodes flush. Everything works on the first collection. So, And I built a model, the Alyssa. That's the one down in Galveston. Okay. And uh, I went down there, and um, there wasn't anybody there. They had brought it over from Europe, and it was just a hole. And they, they had a piece of wood that was about, that, about maybe about three foot long. That's the only thing left of the boat. And... Uh, so and there was an old man there. I said, listen, I like to build a model of this, you know, and there's an iron hole. I said, I like to build a model. And he was an old man. He said, oh, you will? I said, yeah. He said, well, here. And he pulled a rivet out of the hole and said, here. <laughs> he gave me a rivet. And then he said, would you like some wood? I said, wood? It's from the boat. He said, we well, got this piece right here. He took a saw and cut it. I don't think they know that down there. He cut me a piece about that big. I mean, it had to have been about a, almost a foot long. I, I'm the only had a, a small piece of it. So I built that model. I got a photograph of it. But I, uh, the boat, the model I built was an iron hull. I used that to make the rivets. So that boat actually had the rivets of the ribs boat. And I had all, wow. all the furniture, the tables, everything I did from that piece of wood. And I think I still have some of that wood left. So that boat actually has part of the real boat in it. But my whole collection was like that. I had parts from all the world. People sent me parts and I put it in these boats. They're over 100 years old. Uh, like that one up there. That one's the Artemis. It, uh, in 1976, that was one of the boats that came from Europe. Okay. And it's the most haunted story I've ever heard. And it came, and uh, a guy, a guy by the name of uh, Harrington, this is his book. A guy by the name of Harrington uh, was he and his wife Sharon lived in River Oaks, and they went to New York, and they saw that boat, and they fell in love with it, and they asked the people if it for sale. They said three hundred thousand dollars, we'll bring it to America. So they gave him three hundred thousand. He's not a sailor; he's never sailed in his life. And they brought this. This boat's two hundred ten foot long, made of Russian oak, 
And wow. he brought it all the way to Mobile, Alabama, parked it there. And, you know, of course, he lived in Houston. So he ran out there, and the crew got off and said, wait, hold on a second. I don't live here. I live in Houston. He says, nope. We said, bring it to America. They said, it's yours. She said, we've never sailed a boat in our life. And she started crying and crying. She said, how are we going to get in there? Here comes a, the pilot masters. Get the boat out of here right now. It had no business being parked here. And they, well, we don't sell. I we don't care. If you don't move it, we will. <laughs> so he got on board that boat, cranked up the motor. She never came out of the hull, and he pulled it out in the Gulf. And according to him, it sailed its way all the way to Houston. Wow. And it went through a storm. That boat went through a storm with one person and the wife down there, and that was it. All he did was try to drive the doggone thing. And uh, they made it. So needless to say, it was in Houston for all. They ran out of money. And they had uh, A&M, Texas A&M. Right. They wanted the boat. And uh, well, he had sold it, and he told the crew, you can't sell it on Friday. That was over 100 years old. said, no one's ever been able to sell it on Friday. It killed them. So don't sell it on Friday. They took it out on Friday, and it went under and lost them all. And on a clear day, get this, it was a clear day. And there were many people who saw it. They were filming it as it was going away. So you go back, go back, and it was out there in the sea, and all of a sudden a little black cloud came over. A little black cloud got right on top of the boat, poop, gone. And uh, wow. A&M wanted the boat. So they got all this money. To go get that boat, because it, it could get it. And uh, so I went to one of his massive parties. He had lots of money, and he had, had alcohol, everything. Everybody had a good time. He had a bedroom full of, the whole wall full of pictures on this ship. And I walked in and said, can I come in here? Because he had advertised it on, on the Houston Chronicle. So I went in there, and I took pictures of everything, and I left. And I went and built two models of it, came back, and gave him one of the models. He went out to get my car to get it. And I remember pulling it out and giving it to him. and had it in a case. And he was a big guy, so he had no problem holding it. But he wouldn't move. He wouldn't say thank you, nothing. He just stood there in the middle of River Oaks Road, and people were honking, honking, honking. And it wasn't like, and people were driving around, and they're rude. They went around into people's yards. This is River Oaks, a rich part of Houston. They didn't care, right in their yards, and they, because he wouldn't leave the road. So finally, he turned and went in the house, and he didn't talk to a lot of people there. He sat it on the coffee table, and he yelled for his wife, Sharon, and she's drinking you know, champagne and everything. She comes in, and she sees that model, and she goes, she just stops and looks at it for a couple of seconds, and then she says, Oh, my God. And she fainted. Whammo. She hit the side of that coffee table, and she's out like a light bulb. Not one person in that whole house came to her. Nothing. Nobody helped her. I reached out and grabbed her. She hit her head on that dog on the table. So I pick her up, and she wakes up, and she starts screaming to her husband. She's speaking to me. She's speaking to me. And he says, I know. She's talking to me also. And uh, I said, look, hit this button right there. I'll turn the lights on the inside, see everything. So she punched that button, and the, the cabin lights came on, and he screamed, and she screamed. And she looked, she looked, talked to me. She looked at her husband. How did he know what our kitchen looked like? And he said, how did you know what was inside there? I said, well, I don't know. I just guessed. He said, no, you didn't. <laughs> how did you know that kitchen was in there? And uh, he said, how did you know what color that was? You got green, black, white, yellow, and a red deck. And, and gray tops. I said, I guessed. He said, no, you didn't. Because they only had white white photographs, but I had everything, all the colors and everything. And he, he's screaming, he's screaming. He got up and he yelled at everybody in there and they all came in the room. He said, he took all their money and handed it back. He says, we don't want your money anymore. Called up AM and said, it's over with. Leave that ship. We have her. We have her. And they didn't know what he was talking about. He had her. <laughs> this ship. And they, they absolutely loved me to death for giving them that model. And uh, but I but he gave me the book, but I I, I didn't. They're too weird for me. <laughs> she, she's speaking to me. I'm there, no, 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 no one speaks to me. Alright. So, <laughs> so, but God bless them. I don't think they're with us anymore. But I really liked them. They were sweet and nice. But okay, real quick. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. 
Now, that book I showed you that I wrote, right. I forgot to tell you about the cover. The cover of that book was drawn in pastel by a, a little six, seven, eight-year-old girl. This is the Jew for oil? Yes. Okay. She was on one of my boats, and I can show it to you. It's one of them. It, 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 was a, a, this, it was a Spanish boat that had 327 people on them. They were fleeing. The boat didn't have no motor. It didn't have nothing. It had no place for them to sleep. Nothing. And they had to tow it all the way to Istanbul. And then uh, the Turks wouldn't let them get off. They said, get out of here. Said, we can't get out of here. We have no way of getting out. And uh, the British said, how do we do? When it has a bunch of women and children on it, just take their food and their water and everything they have, whatever, and push them out in the ocean and let them get torpedoed. And that's what they did. And uh, that little girl survived it. And uh, she ended up dying 15 years ago in England. And when she died, uh, her estate was sold. And they took all the family albums with all her family and ripped them up and put them on eBay for sale. And I got the drawing that she drew in 1940. And really? the only drawing that anybody ever did in this entire story, 34 to 1948, I have it. And they put it on for $24. That's the dumbest thing that what they did to her. But I got it. And I have the original drawing, and that's what I have the book with. So now I have that. I have that. But I also have this. You're looking at something that's absolutely astounding. I we're, looking at a, we're looking at a picture that's about two foot, two foot six by two foot six. It looks like uh, a bunch of people inside of a boat. It looks like there's a bunch of people on the side of the boat that have drowned. Yes. Yes, okay. Tell so me about I the picture. God. I said, God... Listen, I got all I get, all I got at the museum, and I doubt very seriously if any there were anybody in a concentration camp or whatever that painted uh, an oil painting of it because they, they, how could they? They were running for their lives. They had no money. They were getting on these boats and running for their lives. So they have nothing. I said, well, they surely couldn't paint. I said, well, God, well, if there is one, I'd like to have it. Last year, my wife runs in here and says, Kim, you're not going to believe it. I looked on eBay. Can you believe this? eBay. There was this thing. And it had a big mark here about the New York uh, art gallery that, was, that had posted this. So I thought to myself, that has got to be an Aliyabet painting. I can't believe it, though. It's on board. That's a board. It's a board, okay. And so I, I called the guy, and he answered <clears> the phone. I said, excuse me, you're the one who put this uh, painting on there? And he says, yes. I said, is that for sale? I said, no, not for you, it didn't. I said, well, why? He said, well, do you know who Zsa Gabor? I said, oh, yeah, I knew who Zsa Gabor was. When she died, she had the largest art collection in the world. Largest. Really? And it was one artist, Vladimir Lavedev. She was Russian Jew, and he was Russian Jew. But before the war, he was a children artist. He drew all kinds of stuff. And after the war, he was so famous in the art world here in America and Europe. So I said, well, so? He said, well, when she died, these two paintings, that one and that one over there, she said they had to be in a museum. They are not to be sold to anybody. Well, they sold everything... She had, and for many years, no museum would take these. And I told him, I know why. And he said, what? He said, I know why you can't sell those, and you're not going to get them in a museum. He says, why? It's because that's an Aliyah painting, and they won't take an Aliyah back painting. He said, how do you know that? He says, because I have an Aliyah bet museum. He screamed at me. He says, you have an Aliyah bet museum? I'm mailing both of these to you. Wow. He, 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 he promised her he would, and I was the result of, of uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor's prayers. And he sent me these. And I, when I told him I had an Aliyah, he couldn't believe it. He said, that is an Aliyah Bet painting. That's how I knew. And he told me to my face. And I've got all the information on it. But here's an interesting thing. This, this guy, Vladimir Lebedev, he was a Russian Jew. But he was the Otto Murphy of the Russian army. Times 10. 
Really? I read everything about them. You wouldn't believe it. They had to make it up. Otter Murphy is pretty famous as it is. And I love Otter Murphy. But I can't believe this guy did what he did. But he got captured. And they threw him in one of these camps. And I found out what camp he was in. It was a gas camp where they gassed all these people. And he knew that family very well. And they called that one the family. And it's chipped off. You can see the board behind it. Right. And, uh, <coughs> he, didn't want, he won't tell anybody about it. He refused to talk about that family. But we all know what happened to him. <laughs> right. So it's not funny. And it's really sad. But, boy, that, that, that one just, just tears your soul out watching that one. But so I have both of them. Now, so I decided... Uh, about a year ago that I was going to build another boat because I get all these donations I get and I use a donation to build a boat. And I said, you know, I'm going to build, uh, the next boat I'm going to build is going to be the only boat that tricked the British instead of coming down the Danube and going to the Black Sea and Mediterranean Sea and getting captured. There was a ship that started up in the Baltic. And can you imagine that? Atlantic all the way around. Wow. And they tricked the British and they brought, it was a cattle boat, but they brought thousands of Jews before anybody knew what was happening. So I said, Peggy, I want to build this boat called the Dora. And Peggy told me no. I said, she's the one I'm responsible for this whole thing. I said, Peggy, what do you mean no? I want to build another boat. She says, you're not going to build the Dora. I said, well, can you explain to me why then, my dearest love? And she said, because I want to paint it for you. I said, now, Peggy, hold on just a second. These, this is museum quality, famous art. She's never painted in her life. I said, Peggy, you can't do that. She said, I'm going to. So I bought all this stuff. I couldn't believe my eyes. I've been married to this girl for 35 years. She never told me she could paint. That to me is I was beautiful. Gonna say, it's, a, it's a great painting. It's unbelievable that she can do that. So anyway, and she's got, we've got a picture of the, uh, it's a good sized picture. It's what, uh, three by three, four by four? Oh, that four it's by probably five. Four, four by five. Yeah. Okay, she painted and it's that. got a picture of the Dora and a couple people in lifeboats. You see, they weren't, they didn't get all the way to Israel because they didn't want to get caught. So at night, they would, they would take these and go, uh, go in, or they'd bring them to a smaller boat somewhere, and that's how they got in without being captured. Because once they captured the boat, they destroyed the boat. Wow. That's what the British did. They destroyed things. So anyway, she did that. Now, she did one other painting, and that's that, that's that um, menorah there. I, God, I love it. Okay. Okay, now... This is what you need to know about. And, and okay. I'll, I'll, we, we were talking. Oh, well, let's talk about this first. Okay, let's, uh, yeah. Now, this other painting he was talking about, yeah. it's got uh, the family. It's got uh, five family members, and they're all looking up. There's they're four very children. gaunt looking. So six members. Mom and dad, one, two, three, four. Oh, okay. The other one I didn't see hiding back. Very, they're looking up. Right. And they're petrified at what they see. Right. It's sad. It's these are the only two paintings that Vladimir Lebedev did on the Holocaust. Okay. And and you can see where it's chipping off there? Right. That's the board underneath it. Wow. So uh but it, it's just hard to believe that I have these. So anyway. Now this boat here, they say who says? All the sailors in the world, especially up in the northeast, they say the Cuddy Sarks are the most famous of all the ships ever ever built. And um uh, what's the name of the famous boat up there, the Cuddy Sark? It's the, uh, well, that's the name of it. It was a clipper ship. Uh-uh. Nope, nope, nope. This is a World War I ship. And how do I know this is the most famous? There's over 800 clubs on this planet that do nothing but talk about the captain of this boat and what this ship did in World War I. The, the British had no way uh, uh, 
I mean, the Germans had no way of breaking the blockade that the British had on Germany. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. So what they thought, you know what? There's a register uh, that tells you every ship that's going to leave, what day it's going to leave throughout the year, what their cargo is, who the captain is, that kind of stuff. Let's pick a ship that's not going to leave for several months from now, and we'll go commandeer a boat that looks like that and re-rig it and paint it look like that boat. And uh, they picked a, um, uh, um, let me see, the Norwegian ship. And they made sure they got all these Germans that could speak Norwegian. They went out in a submarine, commandeered this one, Passa, Passa de, uh, de Bama. They he commandeered the boat, took it into Germany. It was an American boat. They uh, refitted it, put, put lumber on it, and uh, everyone spoke Norwegian. And they were ready to go before the actual ship left Norway. They needed the logbook of that ship, so they, they didn't have a captain. There wasn't anybody in Germany that could sail a boat like this. Can you In Germany, they found this kid. His name was Count von Luckner. Famous, famous okay. guy. And he was a big old burly guy. He said, no, I don't kill people. They said, well, don't kill anybody. Go sink the boats. He said, oh, now that I can do. <laughs> so he put him on here. They put him in a submarine, took him to Norway. He got him hired on the actual boat, stole the log, submarine, came back, put the log on that boat. Now they had the log as well as it looked like that boat. It went through the British blockade like, like, a, piece of, like a piece of butter and sunk 15 huge cargo ships, a wow. little boat. And it had two little pop guns. This was the first German raider, and it was World War I. And those two pop guns, all they did is they aimed it right at their radio tower, and whammo, hit it, and then they couldn't lower their guns enough to blow this thing out of the water, but they can poke holes all day long. They sunk 15 of them, but he had all 15 crews on here. Can you imagine 15 crews on a boat like this? All British. And every time the British got on board it, they hid from their own British. They wanted to be with the German the whole war. <laughs> really? He got fed up. He said, the next boat I'm putting all you people on and go home. Leave me alone. Well, he eventually got captured, and they took him to England. According to all the boats, books I have, I got all his books he wrote too. He was famous in America. He, they took him over there. Here he's standing there, and here comes the king of England. Walked up there and says, well... So you are Count Von Lunker. Yes, I am. So he decorated the highest honor they could come up with. Really? <laughs> the German. And he went, to, he went back to Germany. Of course, they, the children of Germany, they gave him a huge ship. And I got a photograph of it over here. A massive, well, a drawing. A massive ship. And they loved him so much that he came to America in 1929. He put 50 boys from America on there and took them all over the world for three months, all over the world. And they came back to 29 and dropped the kids off and said, I'm going to do this for every nation in the world. And then he took off in New York and no one's seen him or that boat since, ever. And you got 800 clubs all over the world want to know what happened to him. But look at that article right there. This is what America said. Said he's a Nazi. He worked with Hitler the whole time. Evil, man. Evil, evil. And I have a lot of articles. People send me stuff. And they, they thought it was evil. So, one of those boys grew up in 1960, and he said, I'm going to go find him if he's still alive. So he went to Europe, and he found him in Hamburg. And he said, do you know what the whole world's saying about you? Is that true? He said, no. No, no, none of that's true. He said, then why aren't you, why aren't you saying something? He said, look. He said, I married a beautiful Duchess girl, and I'm not going to ruin their family name. I will not. So he never told anybody. He let them do whatever they want. To this day, no one has any idea whether he did. They'd have nothing. They don't know. They just have these clubs on this ship. They love this ship. This is the only model. There's many models. The only one that's exact. How do I know that? My wife. We're on vacation. She stops in every dinky little library or book sale, you know, in some dinky little town. So we stop. She gets out. I go out there. And they had them all out on, this, on the table. You know how they do it outside of the table. So I was looking. I found an old encyclopedia way back there in the, I don't know, 20s or something like that, uh, early 30s. 
And I started opening it up, and I'll be sending a gun. There were these German men who had just commandeered this boat in Germany, and they were sitting there and drawing pencil drawings of what the ship was looked like when they were rebuilding it. And that's what I built the model on from those, the actual German wow. drawings of it. So I don't know if anybody's ever seen those, but I've got it. So anyway, that, here's the deal. So he told the boy, listen, grown man, I'm sorry. They sat down. He wrote a 15-page document of everything that happened to him in World War II. And he said, it's yours. That's my gift. Do whatever you want with it. So now that was 1960. Well, 1983, I was over there in Houston as a young man. I wasn't married. And I, had made my, I was working on my first model collection. And I built a smaller boat of this. Uh, but nothing like this, because whatever. Anyway, somewhere on this planet, he saw it, and he, he found me. He went to my apartment. Took, I don't know how long it took. He was 74 years old. He was dying of cancer. He was, he was a dead man. And he, I, I let him in my apartment. He was all dressed up, very, you know, uh, a very astute guy. And he, he gave me this, this uh, print right here that Von Lochner signed and gave to all 50 boys. And he did that to a lot of people, but I got that one. That was the one he was given. His name was Bill Heckler. So, and he said, here, this document he gave me, uh, uh, and now it's yours. You can do whatever you want with it. Well, <laughs> I read that document. I still have it. And I called three of those 800 clubs and said, what would happen if I had a document? They said, if you have it, there's no price you can put on it. We had anybody, they would love to know what happened to him. And I said, well, I never did anything with it. I decided someday I'll build that mall, and I did a year ago. And I have that document. When I'm dead, I told Peggy, whoever gets that mall, uh, the rest of them try to keep together, but that one, if somebody actually wants you, give them that document, and then they'll be the only one in the world that knows what happened to him. So, but I read the document. Boy, is it amazing. Here's what happened. Two things, just in two things I'll tell you. One is uh, there was a small town in Germany that was, uh, 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 Patton was on his way to wipe it off the face of the map. That's what he did. He went right through towns and blew them all up, especially when the SS were in there. And, uh, but the SS was there, and they were killing all the people, but then they found out Patton was coming, they split. But Patton didn't know that. So these people roped this guy, or how they got a hold of him, and said, would you please come save us? And uh, he was a German, for heaven's sakes, and they were German, but, but he said, I can't. I said, I have a wife, and, and they said, you have to, or they're going to kill us all. So he told his wife goodbye. And he, I don't know how he tried, he made his way there, but he didn't quite get there in time. Just as he showed up, before he could say hello, here comes Patton's third army, just going right through the town. So he walked out in the middle of the road, and he just stood there. He's a big old dude. Just stood there like this. Well, the tank stopped. You know how Patton did. He went right, right. as fast as they could. The tank stopped, and Patton comes running around in his Jeep with his, his guns out, getting ready to shoot the captain of that or the commander of that tank. He said, what's the problem? He said, that's the problem, pointing right at this guy standing in the middle of the thing. And Patton, guess what happened? I, I'm going to guess that Patton, was, I know he was a great historian. He knew all about Rommel, but he also knew about this guy. And one look at him, he told him, go around the town. Can you believe this? The entire army went around the town trying to get there before the British in Berlin, and they had to go in the jungles to get around this dumb town. And, uh, and nobody shot him. He just stood there. And after they were all gone, the people came out of the houses and looked at this guy, and no one's talking to him. And he was looking through the town where it was already blown up and burned up and everything. And he reached out and he pulled up an old passport. And he opened it up and it happened to be a passport of a lady who was, you know, done. And it had Rose Jensen on there. And he looked at all the people and said, listen, do you, are you guys harboring any Jews here? <laughs> They're not going to say nothing to him. He said, I'm telling you, this is the salvation of one young lady. Do you have a lady or not? And this old woman brings this young girl in here and says, she's a Jew. And he looked at her and says, 
whatever her name was, this is your name, is now Rose Jansen. This is yours. You hold on to this passport. You never, ever tell anybody you're Jewish, and you don't ever mention my name, Count von Luckner. Never mention my name. And then, uh, and I'll make sure you get to America. You take care of her until I get her there. And he did. And she married a, a, a GI, and she lived a very good life. And he died. But after he died, she started getting, you know, uh, want, you know, she wanted to tell somebody. So she started writing Germany and Israel and all these people saying, this man saved my life, uh, Count Montlocker. Well, everybody knew who Count Montlocker was, but they didn't know what happened to him. And now she's saying that he's the one that saved her. So Israel immediately looked into that and found out he really did. So in Israel, righteous Gentiles... God told Moses this on Mount Sinai. He says, you have gardens when you get in there and you plant trees for Gentiles, righteous Gentiles. And when they grow, put your names on them. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to raise the Jews and then he's going to go after them. And every one of them are going to be raised in Israel. They're not going to be raised in Marfa or in Wyoming or wherever. They're going to find themselves in Israel. And the Jews will have to take care of them for eternity. And that's their, so that's what, so Christians don't ever say stuff like that. They just make, it's it's pathetic that they don't mention righteous Gentiles because we're all Gentiles for heaven's sakes. And I, but nope, they don't mention that. And, and the greatest blessing, like I told you, the greatest blessing that a rabbi can receive according to the highest rabbi in Israel is a blessing from a righteous Gentile. They get great reward in that. So they look for a righteous Gentile. And uh, so, but Jews, I'm a Christian, think that's incredible. They don't realize any of this stuff. So here's the deal. So he, uh, he got five trees, not one. Really? They gave him five trees. I had to build the boat. Yeah. I had to build a boat. Is that not an amazing story? And I got the document. That's, that's beyond, it's amazing what all you've managed to collect. Yeah. I mean, Zsa Zsa Gabor paintings. Yeah, and then uh, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, uh, Lisa there in Galveston, all this stuff. If yeah. They found out that I, they cut off a piece of that history and gave it to me, and I'm like, I can't imagine what they think. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I've got a picture of that ship. Uh, this is the Robbie Port. Uh, I'm going to boast a little bit. It's a sin to boast, but I'll boast a little bit. This is the, this, uh, the, the number one art magazine in the world. Okay. They've never had a model ship builder because whoever's in there, you have to sell everything. So, so I'm the only one they ever put in it. Really? Yeah, the only one. And you, had to, you, you didn't have to sell everything? Yes, I did. Oh, There's the Alyssa right there. That's the one that had the bolt and all that kind of stuff. It's a beautiful oh, this is, this is the ones that you ended up selling all of them in Houston? No. Well, this sold in Houston. That's true. And I sold it to a guy. It, uh, it was called the Cook uh, Corporation. They were on the 50th floor of the Texas Republican Building. And then he was arrested uh, a few months later for embezzling $3 million, $3 million from the company. So they arrested him. The IRS took everything, including this boat. And then he became the vice president of the company. Oh. <laughs> Is that not the funniest story you ever heard? But the boat disappeared. For five years, all the people I've sold models to called me and said they want that. Well, I said, I don't know where it is, and I can't afford it. He paid me a lot of money for it. I said, I can't afford this. And uh, so what made me mad about that first collection is IRS got everything. And I'll never do that again. I won't sell anything. If they get it all, it's not worth it. So, uh, but five years later, Peggy and I went to Galveston and I asked the new curator. I said, by any chance, have you ever seen a a sailing boat that's white? It disappeared and everything. He said, no, we don't have uh, anything like that here. And then I started walking. I said, hold on just a second. There is a boat down in the basement that's covered up. I, I thought about it. So he took me down there. He took off the cover of it, and there it was, sitting right there. He had it for really? five years down there. I said, for heaven's sakes, why, why haven't you given that, uh, the, 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 put it out on your show or anything? Well, he said, because the, uh, 
Somebody beat him to it. He said because the Texas Historical Society, they took this boat. It was theirs. I mean, it, it, right now it's in the Houston Yacht Club in Kima. And uh, it, it's the only uh, model ship that Texas ever have. It's on the historical register. This is the one. So it's sitting there. But they had no idea who built it because I didn't put my name on it. But I went and saw it and told them who built everything. I don't know if they even know it. But it's still sitting there. But anyway, that's it. Now, this is the one that has the bolts in it from the real ship. And the, they, people don't know that. They know, they'll look at it. They have no idea that it's part of the real boat. So, wow. And these, uh, the one that the guy who saw me build, that was that one he saw. He saw that Seattler because it was painted black most of the time. Okay. So that's what made him come looking for me. Kim, this has been an awesome museum learning about the Jewish history that is pretty much buried. You've written several books. Uh, you said that most of them are not available anywhere other than through you. Is that correct? That's it. That's it. And so if they want to get a copy of your book, they need to go to... Uh, Kim Thornsburg, Box 1725... Marfa, M-A-R-F-A, Texas, 79843. Okay. They can't order it online? No. Okay. Can they call you? Well, yeah. uh, do, you take credit card, do you take credit cards? What is the price no, for they, your book? I have a lot of people who do these books. They always write me a check. That's, okay. that's what I do. Now, you can email me at kimthornsburg at yahoo.com. T-H-O-R-N-S-B-U-R-G, Thornsburg, uh, at yahoo.com. And that's what most people do. They email me and tell me what to do, and I do it. Okay. That sounds and good. And I'll tell them all the books. This one is the, the Seal of Truth, and that, that came right out of the Scriptures. And then uh, you have the Marfa Lights, and you have the Marfa Sketchpad, which is about Marfa. I mean, I've got all kinds of books. Okay. So if anybody's interested in those, uh, follow those links or, or get a hold of Kim, and he will be more than happy to get you some of the information that we've talked about here today. If you are ever in the Marfa area, you need to come by and see his ships. They are absolutely phenomenal. Kim has been a joy to talk to. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of information, a lot of information that I have never heard. Uh, and he's got a lot of other information. We've talked for probably a couple hours off mic uh, on, on a lot of different subjects. This man's extremely interesting. Uh, like I always finish out my podcasts, the world is full of wonder. There are so many small museums that have history that nobody knows about. You need to get out, explore, find it, and have an absolutely wonder-filled day. All the rolling go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?